Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard of this one. Reaching the end of a job interview, the human resource officer asked a young engineer fresh out of the Institute of Technology, what starting salary are you looking for? The engineer replies, well, in the region of 125 a year, depending on benefits, of course, and the package that you have. The interviewer inquires, well, what would you say to the package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, company matching retirement fund of up to 50% of salary, and a company car leased every two years, let's say a red Corvette. The engineer sits up straight and says, wow, are you kidding me? The interviewer says, yeah, but you started it. <laughs> he's, he's kidding him. Come on. Lighten up. Sermon number 77 through the book of Matthew in a series I've titled Jesus Worldview because at the end of the day, the views of the world fade away. They change over and over and over. And one day they say it's absolutely gospel and fact and the next day it changes it's amazing to look back a hundred years ago what they believed to be true and what they know now to be true and how it keeps changing over time but there seems to be one thing that just stays the same and keeps being able to apply to people's lives over thousands of years and it is the word of god it is the worldview of the almighty through the scriptures and so we are working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview because at the end of the day, that's the view that I want. I want to know what he has to say before I hear what the news has to say. I want to hear what he has to say before I hear about what side they have to say. I ultimately want to know what Jesus has to say. The title of the sermons today, if you are taking notes, is Grumbling at Grace. Grumbling at Grace. Again, sermon number 77 through the book of Matthew a lot of people still misunderstand the character and grace of God. It moves in real time and breaks all barriers and logic we have in our own minds about what is fair and what is right. The kingdom of God, if you didn't know, is really backwards from the ways of the world. It is upside down from the ways of the world. And whether you realize it or not, you are in the world. And you are learning the ways of the world. And we are pre-programmed uh, first. Our default setting in our hearts is towards the ways of the world. So that gravitates towards our minds very quickly. And we start thinking in that direction. And when we come in contact with the kingdom, we realize that God's ways, that his economy, his way of thinking, his way of viewing is actually opposite the way of the human. It's completely backwards and upside down. It challenges us deep to the core. And it says, no, no, this is what is fair. This is what is right. This is what is true. That's why it's shocking over and over. It's amazing how times you can be shocked by the scriptures when you've read it many times over. You come to the passage again and you realize like, wow, that's beyond me. How is that possible? I think it's possible because, you know, like the... Um, the spa, you know when you go to a hotel and you get in the spa and you have to turn the dial? You turn it to like 30 minutes and it's like click, 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 click. It comes all the way back around, shuts off, and then all of a sudden it's freezing in there and you're wondering why. 
Well, that dial, you know, has a timer, and I, I feel like there's a dial in our heart sometimes that every day we are turning that dial back to God, and all of a sudden it, by the next day, finds itself back uh, towards the way of the human, forgetting the things of God and having to be refocused, recalibrated over and over and over again. That's what I've experienced. We're in Matthew chapter 20 in our Bibles. We're going to cover 16 verses today in a parable where Jesus explains the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to see how backwards and upside down it is. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him. Remember whose word we are reading. It's not mine. It's definitely his. And his words are the only one that can change us forever. I was reading a commentary this week, and I love what he was saying in it. He said, you know, we read scriptures every single week in the church. I read them to you. And he says, at least I know there's one thing that is true all the way through the sermon. It's the scriptures. His opinion, his, his view on things isn't always perfect, but the scriptures are. And I love that I get to read it for us each and every week. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Are you there? It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius... For the day he sent them out into his vineyard. And when he, had about, when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one will hire us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they supposed that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Now when they received it, they were grumbling at the landover, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he said, he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing no wrong. Do you not agree with me for an anarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to the ways of the kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we saw the rich young ruler approach the Lord Jesus and ask him how he can gain eternal life. Remember? The rich young ruler. He was. And the rich young ruler asked him how he can gain eternal life. And Jesus said, well, keep all ten commandments. And the rich young ruler said, well, I, I've kept them since he I was young, thinking that he was actually good. And the Lord looked at him and loved him and told him, okay, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. This should be easy if you've kept all the commands. And the rich young ruler said nothing more, turned around and walked away from the Lord sorrowful because he had many possessions. We learn that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom 
because he depends more on his wealth than God. And Jesus points out that we must come to him like a child, remember? Entering into his kingdom like a child. As a child is fully dependent on his father and mother. He has no riches. The baby girl has no riches. She just fully depends on their parents. We are dependent on God that way. We are to put our faith in God like this. It is not sinful to have wealth. Not at all. It is sinful when our wealth has us. Jesus' last statement after talking with the rich young ruler was this. The last will be first and the first will be last. Meaning those we see as last or lowest on earth will be the first in, in heaven. Kings and queens. But those who are kings and queens on earth who don't walk with the Lord will be the lowest in eternity. Wow, how the tables will turn. Wow, how the kingdom is so upside down and backwards. The conversation continues in our text from verse 30 of chapter 19 to chapter 20, verse 1. There is no break, Bible students, in the talk with his disciples. Sometimes I, I hate chapter breaks because it messes up our minds. We're like, uh, we read chapter 19, now chapter 20, and we think it's a whole brand new scene and scenario, but it's actually not. He just finished talking with the rich young ruler, walked over with his disciples, is talking and explaining about what's going on in the kingdom, how the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story to illustrate this. And he starts telling the story of the parable to explain how the first will be last and the last will be first. And how, yes, the miracle of salvation, which is impossible with man, can be possible with God. And that a camel can enter through the eye of a needle. This is what Jesus is trying to tell you, that the kingdom is so different than you think. And he's like, let me tell you a story to illustrate this. Let's walk through the parable together. What do you say? Look at verse 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is what? Like. Look at your text. The kingdom of heaven is what? Like. Or similar to. Not exactly as this parable. It is a story to illustrate one major point. It's not a perfect alignment with heaven. It's a story to paint an understanding. Jesus will make one major point in this parable. We shouldn't look at a parable the same way we look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, word for word, are saying something. The story of a parable is an illustration for one major point. So we don't look at the details of the story and try to max that out in deep theology. We look at the whole of the story and we extract one major truth. That's how you understand a parable. Jesus is making a point with a story illustration based upon what he has just said, right? It would be like me saying point number one, point number two, point number three. Now here's a story to wrap all of that up. And it connects all of those pictures. So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, this is before sunrise, to hire workers for the day to work his vineyard. He's a winemaker, and he needs laborers. He owns a vineyard. He needs some guys to come and work the field for him that day. Anyone ever work as a laborer? All right. Get those hands up. Come on, laborers. Come on, get those hands up. Like on a construction site or a farm, I did. It was one of my first jobs. 
I was 16, 17 years old, and the guy I was working for would pick me up at 5 a.m. on Saturdays as I was still in high school, and I would go and clean up the job site. I would move lots of lumber from here to there. I would dig holes for the undergrounds. I was a laborer. I just worked for the construction guys. They tell me what to do, and I did it. And this guy I worked for jumped the border of Mexico when he was 14, 15, came to California and built a life, started as a laborer, now he's building houses. So he knew how to work, and he worked me. You better believe it. So I'm going to teach this young guy how to work. And I'm thankful he taught me what hard work is. I'm thankful for those blood, sweat, and tears, and my hands falling off from calluses. I'm thankful for that. Taught me how to work when I was young. The landowner is work looking for laborers to work his vineyard. And uh, he's, he's, he's going down the street to the marketplace and saying, I need some workers, and he's going to hire them for the day. You Bible students should know that the characters in the parable are these. The landowner who is God. Got it? The landowner who is God. The workers who are Christians, followers of Jesus. The foreman, some believe, is the Lord Jesus. The vineyard work is our work for the Lord. And the time which they start is the time in which stays of life we are saved. Okay? Key characters, Almighty God, the landowner, and the workers being Christians are those who follow the Lord Jesus. Disciples. Okay? Look at verse 2. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So he found some guys, it's about 6 a.m. in the morning, and they agreed on a denarius or a day's wage for a 12-hour day. At 12 bucks an hour, let's just say 144 bucks for the day, let's call it 150 flat, all right? Throw the six bucks on there because I don't have ones, okay? So 150 bucks for the day, he's calling them to come work, it's, it's 5 a.m., the sun's coming up, he gets them started at 6 a.m., you got that? Verse 3, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. So the landowner goes back out into town and finds some more workers standing around idle, and it says at the third hour, or about 9 a.m. You Bible students, in the Bible, when you see third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, you start from the 6 a.m. mark and count, and that's how you get about the time of day, assuming that the first hour starts at sunrise, around 6 a.m. So three hours from 6 a.m. is 9 a.m. Some of you are like, are we in math class again? Please don't do that. Don't worry, I'll get it for you. So assuming the first hour is sunrise, when he found these guys at 9 a.m., he says, you want to work? It's the third hour. You guys want to work? Go to my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right at the end of the day. And they're like, let's go. We get to start 9 a.m. Look at the text. Again, he went about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. So the landowner goes back out at 12 noon and he did the same. He found workers. He said, I'll pay you what is right at the end of the day. If you want to work, go work in my vineyard. So they went and started work at noon. 
Then he found another group of guys around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and he said the same thing, and they went and worked. So he's got guys at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. You got it? Verse 6, about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one will hire us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. The landowner went back at 5 p.m. and found some guys standing around and says, why have you been standing here all day? And they said, because no one will hire us. They don't think we're good enough workers. He said, okay, well, if you want to work, go work my vineyard. And they're like, sweet, we can make a little something before the end of the day. So these guys start at 5 p.m., but check this, the day ends at 6 p.m. Verse 8, now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. So the sun goes down, and the landowner says to his foreman, bring all the guys in and start paying the guys. And I want you to pay the guys I called last first. Bring the guys that I called last first. Bring the guys that I called last to work for me. Pay them first. Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received, how much Bible students? A denarius. The guys from the 5 p.m. shift can't believe it's over already. Their hands are just a little dirty. They barely broke a sweat, and they are called to the front of the line. Can I have the 5 p.m. guys come, please? And he hands them 150 bucks each, a day's wage, a denarius. Their eyes are big. They in their hearts know there must be a mistake the foreman is making. They only deserve 20 bucks because they only worked one hour. But they keep quiet and hope he doesn't notice because they hit the jackpot. Did, 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 you get, did you get 150? I got 150. He made a mistake. He thinks we're the first guys. When those hired first came, verse 10, take a look. When those hired first came, they supposed that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Finally, after the foreman, after the foreman paid the 3 p.m., the 12 noon guys, the 9 a.m. guys, the 6 a.m. guys were like, sweet baby, we're going to make double because we worked all day. But the foreman said, here you go, 150 bucks day's wage for you. And they look at him like, what? 150 bucks? I thought we were going to receive more. Look at verse 11. Now, when they received it, they were grumbling at the landowner, saying, these men have worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We know what that feels like in Southern California this week, huh? Oh, baby. These guys, these 6 a.m. guys get mad and they start grumbling at the landowner saying, how can you pay these guys who only worked one hour the same as us? We work 12 hours all day in the hot sun and they start at 5 p.m. and end at 6 p.m. That's not fair. You have made them equal to us. Verse 13. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did we not agree 
for one denarius? Man, I love this. The landowner looks the, landowner looks the worker in the eye and says, friend, my man, I didn't do you wrong. Didn't we agree on a day's wage when I asked you to come work for me this morning? Yes, we did. Then he says, verse 14, take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am a generous man? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. This good? Man, what a story. Jesus is king, man. He's the best. He tells the best stories. I love how he wraps all this in, and it always hits me between the eyes in places that I couldn't think I could be hit anymore. The landowner says, my guy, take what is yours and go. If I want to give the 5 p.m. guys the same pay, I can do whatever I want. I can do what I wish with my vineyard and my money. Are you envious of them because I wanted to be generous to them? Are you envious because I blessed them? So those who think they are first will be last. Those who think they are first will be last. I'm going to be first. I'm going to be first. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Remember the disciples arguing amongst each other? No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, no, Peter, you're the idiot. You got your foot in your mouth all the time. I'm going to be the greatest. Well, I did that for the Lord. I'm going to be the greatest. Why well, preach that many sermons? I'm going to be the greatest. Why well, did those things for the Lord? I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Oh, no, no, you, you, you got it wrong. There's only one who is great in the kingdom, and that's him. We're just thankful we get to stand next to greatness. Four things I see in this passage that I want you to walk away with. Number one, God isn't fair. You don't want him to be fair. The 6 a.m. Guy want, guys wanted God to be fair, but the truth is they don't know what they are saying. Fair is no one gets to work today, and no one gets paid in God's kingdom. Stand there on the street all day, and you make nothing. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. There is not one. Romans 3.9, what then? Are we any better? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Greeks alike are all under sin. We are not any better. We are all the same. Romans 3.10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Not one. So we should not be stacking up our chips against each other saying, I'm going to be the greatest. No, 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 no. No one would be great. No one would be used. No one would even get to work for the Almighty lest he lay down his life for us and welcome us in. All have sinned against God greatly and are under the judgment of God. And if he was fair, he would send us all to jail, all to hell. No one should get into heaven because we have all sinned against a holy God. That's the truth. Listen, we chant justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. 
How many spiritual red lights have you broken and ran? Want to tally it up? God can play the video in heaven. We're doing a video in the park night. Come on, bring your blankets, bring your chairs. We're going to show what Joey did his whole life. All the hidden motives, all the hidden thoughts, all the things you were thinking and doing when no one was saying, roll it. Uh-oh. Justice is getting what you deserve. Watch this. Mercy, you cry, mercy. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserve jail, but he says no jail. You deserve jail, justice, but no jail. You deserve a ticket, but no ticket. Now watch this. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is getting blessed when you ran a red light. Grace is getting heaven when you should have gone to jail. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Justice getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. God in his mercy forgives us of our sin and lets us go free. God in his grace then blesses us with heaven, blessings, and promise us, and calls us his sons and daughters, and we will dwell with him forever, though we have done wrong against him. God is not fair. He is gracious. Praise God. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Praise God. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You don't want God to be fair. Point number two, if you're taking notes, how can we grumble at grace? Haven't we received it? How can we grumble at grace? Haven't we received it? Were you not a worker with no work? And the greatest boss on the planet hired you, and now your pockets are full? Why are you mad about God's grace in your life and in others? You think grace should be fair? Okay, then you get nothing. You get no pay. John 1.16, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Let me read it again. So good. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. From his fullness, from his full cup, he pours it on his people, and you're like, that's plenty. Here's heaven and blessings and promises. And then he says, here's more. Here's more. You know how many days that I've messed up life and think that I deserve nothing from God and then he turns around and blesses me somehow? What are you doing still blessing me? 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, Paul says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. He said, because God's grace is poured on me, I can't believe I'm even counted in. I can't even believe I'm on the team. Can't even believe I'm in the family. I'm just going to get my head down and start working hard for his glory. I just can't believe I get counted to be a part of this. Psalm 23, 6. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Your cup is full. Why are you worried about what is in the other person's cup? It's full. Yeah, but, yeah, but they got... Your cup is full. Yeah, but God's using them too. Your cup is full. Yeah, but they got this and they have this and why don't I have that? Your cup is full, man. Why are you looking at everybody else's cup? Who cares? Aren't you thankful that your cup is full? I want their cup. <laughs> it's like my kids. Eden and Shep. We give Eden a full cup of that and then all of a sudden, you know, you give Shep the other cup of the smoothie and all of a sudden she wants his cup. cup is full. Why are you worried about what's in other people's cups? How can we grumble at grace? Haven't we received it? Point number three, be careful to be envious of God's generosity in other people's lives. Again, be careful to be envious of God's generosity in other people's lives. Get your eyes off other people and what they have. Get your eyes on God and those that are closest to you. That's all. Celebrate what God has done in your life. Celebrate what God is doing in your spouse's wife and your kid's wife and your friend's life. Why, why, why are you so concerned about what God is doing in other people's lives? If you can't be concerned with it and celebrate, then get your eyes off it and get them on the Lord. Get your eyes back on him and see that what he's giving you every single day. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, each one of you, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You want to be a great person? You want to be a person full of life? Be a grateful person. Be grateful for what God has given you. Stop looking at others and wanting what they have. Celebrate what God is doing in you. When you are so focused on what other people are doing, you forget what God is doing in you. Let me say it again. When you're so focused on what other people are doing, you forget what God is doing in you. Lastly, Jesus said it. The last will be first in the kingdom. And the first will be last. Upside down and backwards, huh? The children, the poor, the lowly will rule and reign. Jesus drives this point home. The humble, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore before the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Keep your heads down. Do the work of God that he has given to you. And know, know this, if you were like King David, saved as a boy and served the Lord your whole life, you're a 6 a.m. guy, or maybe you're the thief on the cross, you're a 5 p.m. guy, at the last hour you come to Jesus, let's keep our heads down. Serve the master with what he's given you. I'll never forget being introduced to... Um, this older man who is working at a church here in L.A., in town. This is probably like five years ago. And I remember the pastor telling me, you see that guy right there? He's a king in heaven. I'm like, what? What do you mean? He's a king in heaven. I'm like, really? 
he said, um, one day he came to me and he said, I want to, you know, I'm retired and I just, I just want to clean the whole church. It's a massive facility. It's probably 10,000, 20,000 square feet. He's like, I want to, I want to clean this place. This is going to be my thing that I do. I want to clean the toilets. I'm going to clean the bathrooms. I mop the floors here. I want to make this place nice. So when the people come into worship, it's ready for them. He said, you see that guy over there? That he's like in his 70s, and there he is just going at it. And he, he, the pastor said he won't let me pay him. This is his gift. This is what he wants to do. And I was looking at him thinking, there he is. There's the royalty of heaven right there. I'm standing in his presence. Credible. Your cup is full. You're going to heaven. Don't worry about what other people are doing and how God is blessing them. Celebrate what God is doing in everyone's life. You focus on him and get on cheering everybody else on around you. Just be, just be blessed that we're in the fold, that we're a part of it, and God's using us. He will keep pouring the blessings. And we will have full lives. Amen? It's as simple as that. The kingdom is so backwards and upside down from the world around us. Let us put that in our hearts. Let's pray, and we're going to enter into communion. Father, we worship you in this place. We thank you for your word. And we ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would humble us once again. You would help us to see what gratefulness and thankfulness looks like. To just be blessed that we're one of your disciples, that we're going to heaven when we die, that we have a relationship with you. And I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, if there are those here who maybe don't know you, haven't tasted of your grace, but they hear this story and say, there is a king like that. There is a landowner like that that pours grace upon grace on people. I want to work for him. I want to be in relationship with him. I want to know that God. I pray, Father, that you would help them to see their sin before you and that they would turn away from it with all of their heart. They'd stop worshiping the gods of the world. They'd start worshiping you with all of their heart. They would repent, Lord, that they would call upon you as Lord and Savior. That they would recognize the work you've done on the cross for them in your death, burial, and resurrection. You've taken their punishment and you've given them your gift of life. I pray, Father, that they would see that in this moment. They'd call upon you to be saved. That you would forgive them of all of their sins. Show them mercy and then show them grace, Lord. Fill their account full of you with the gift of heaven blessings and promises forevermore, a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, as we enter communion, that we would see the cross more clearly, that we would be anchored in you this morning. We'd walk away blessed by this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.